You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the Ending the HIV Epidemic, or EHE for short, initiative, and a recent policy paper of note. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Appreciate it. So, John, for those who might not know, what is EHE and what are the EHE policy statements from the Infectious Diseases Society of America, or IDSA, and the HIV Medicine Association, or HIPMA? Yeah, so um, so we know that we're kind of all working towards ending the HIV epidemic, and I think it's a big piece of what we do uh, here at uh, at the ATC. And, you know, this is a large task. And recently at the Ryan White Conference, uh, we heard of many of the struggles around the EHE goals. Um, you know, the big one I think that was covered is that there's still about 14% of people who are infected with HIV and don't even know it. Um, and I think that's a big piece. Uh, the other part of it is PrEP use in Black and Latinx patients is less than 20%. And I think um, these are numbers that we really can do, you know, need, need some improvement. Uh, and the number of people who are undetectable still needs work. Um, so the, our four pillars that we talk about as it relates to the EHA are kind of still in flux and we need to continue to work hard to make sure that we're, uh, that we're getting this plan accomplished. Um, so I think most of us know about the EHE plan, but in summary, it's, it's the ending the HIV epidemic in the US. Uh, it's a bold plan that was announced in 2019. Basically what it's aiming to do is to end HIV, the HIV epidemic in the US by 2030. So a lot of the agencies across the US Department of Health and Human Services um, they developed uh, an operational plan to basically pursue that goal, uh, accompanied by requests for additional funding. Um, so what exactly does the plan do? I think the most important thing is that we're really trying to leverage advances in prevention, uh, diagnosis, treatment, and outbreak response, kind of leveraging those big um, topics, uh, and particularly by coordinating, I think, the, the, the successful programs that we already have. And then I think combining resources and even infrastructure of many of the HHS agencies um, that, um, that, that, that the HHS uh, has, has offered for many years. Uh, initially, the initiative was, is focusing on areas where HIV transmission occurs more frequently. And this provides um, additional uh, focus areas for certain geographic areas with, uh, uh, with an infusion of additional resources, expertise, and technology, really to help uh, develop and implement a local a plan tailored uh, tailored to the EHE uh, uh, plan, but also tailored to that individual area uh, that that may be 
uh, presented with some difficult challenges. So some of the key points about what helped shape the EHE plan, uh, I'll list out here. And I think the important thing is, you know, I think we know this, so more than 700,000 Americans uh, have lost their life to HIV since 1981. Uh, more than 1.1 million Americans are currently living with HIV and many more are at risk of HIV infection. Uh, approximately 38,000 Americans become newly diagnosed each year. And again, without intervention, um, nearly 400,000 more Americans will be diagnosed over the next 10 years, despite the availability of really excellent tools for prevention uh, and also uh, tools for treatment as well. The U.S. government spells, spends close to $20 billion in annual direct health care expenditures for HIV prevention and care. So huge money being put out for prevention and care. And I think we can make a difference by identifying new uh, people for prevention and also getting people tested. Uh, there's a real risk of, of an HIV resurgence due to several factors. I think a lot of it has to do with injection, drug use, and other drug use. Uh, there's still HIV-related stigma out there. Uh, homophobia and transphobia is still a big a big issue in the United States and in other areas as well, obviously. Uh, um, lack of access to HIV prevention is probably one of the biggest issues I think that we um, you know, we have these biomedical prevention tools, you know, in uh, in both oral and now injectables, and, and a lot of people are not getting it. So access to these HIV prevention measures are just not happening in a lot of areas. Um, and it's not that they're not available, they're there, but the question is, are the right people accessing them? Testing and treatment, I think is a big piece. And then certainly lack of awareness of HIV, all these re remain significant public health threats that really could potentially lead to a large resurgence in HIV if we, if we don't keep um, moving forward with the EHE plan. I think it's also uh, important that uh, that the leadership at HHS, I think really was hopeful to reach some of these goals and the initiative uh, really leverages some of the, cl the critical scientific advances in HIV prevention, diagnosis, treatment and care. And also by coordinating some of these highly successful programs, um, you know, we can really make it make a big difference. And the programs that are that we're kind of focused on here are obviously CDC, uh, HRSA, the Indian Health Service, the National Institutes of Health, the Office of, of uh, the HHS Assistant Secretary for, for Health, the OESH, and obviously the, the uh, SAMHSA as well, which deals with substance abuse and mental health services. So really these, these organizations kind of all kind of loop together to kind of create the CHE plan and really try to tailor it to the individual places where where there where there's issues where we need to do more for whether it's testing whether it's uh, prevention whether it's treatment or whether it's identifying uh, trends and trends and new infections. John, what can you tell us about the recent policy paper from HIVMA and IDSA now? Yeah, so I just want I just want to cover this. This is actually published. So recently, this was a, a published policy paper. Uh, that was published in the Clinical Infectious Diseases in the middle of August of, of this year. Uh, while we know we have the tools to reduce new infections by 90% by 2030, there's numerous barriers in the healthcare system that really need to be addressed to make this happen. So some of this includes some of the universal access to healthcare, uh, but there's a whole host of issues around this. And so, so what, what HIPMA and IDSA came up with is kind of like 10 key principles for policy reforms that could really make the EHE program in the US more likely to reach their goals. So I wanna be cautious of when, when I talk about this because I think um, these are, um, you know, this isn't from HRSA or from, you know, uh, from, uh, you know from, from the EHE people, but it's from HIVMA and IDSA, which I think uh, involve a lot of care providers who are doing a lot of this on the, the, this groundwork, on this work on the ground. And these, these 10 principles I think are really important. And so I wanna make sure we're not like trying to 
Um, say anything bad about the EHE plan? Because the EHE plan, I think, is really is really a great plan. The question is, you know, how can we how can we make it better, and how can we what can we do for for patients to to ensure that we actually we actually attain the EHE goals? I think that's really the key piece of this paper. So, can you talk a little bit about each of those principles that you mentioned? Yeah. So briefly, I want to talk just kind of list them out, the ten of them, and then we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of close this out today. But um, I encourage you to take a look. There's more description of what, you know, individual, the individual uh, 10 um, principles in the paper. There's there's more information in the paper that, that kind of goes into more depth about what you could potentially do. But I think the, one, the first thing was definitely um, ensuring access to affordable, comprehensive healthcare coverage and services. And the important of this is that it really needs to include some mental health and substance abuse uh, and substance use disorder treatment for everyone in the U.S. I think everybody would agree that that's a big problem in the U.S. Um, number two was to address the social determinants of health, including some of the structural racial inequities, the educational access, economic stability, immigration status, discrimination, stigma, housing, transportation, all these things that are really, really, um, uh, really would be, if we could fix these things, I think it would be really fundamental to ending some of the HIV-related disparities that we see in the United States. And that was a big focus of, 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 uh, of the second principle. The third principle is organized healthcare delivery to meet people where they are and incorporating harm reduction principles with minimum administrative and structural barriers to healthcare services. So again, making sure people have access to care when they need it. Advanced healthcare financing and payment models that are really incentivizing and support innovative models of care that can improve uh, health outcomes and quality for people with HIV. That's a big one, right? Because if you don't incentivize people, there's no really role for them. There's no rationale for them to, to make these to make these goals realistic for them. So these innovative models of care that can really look at outcomes and improve those outcomes for persons with HIV, I think are really important as we move forward. Uh, number five was promoting fair, reasonable prescription drug prices. Uh, and again, this is a big barrier for HIV prevention for one. Um, now there are there are patient assistance programs, there are ways to get drugs that are you know, for, for reduced costs. But for a lot of patients, you know, co-pays and if you have private insurance and you make decent money, some of these co-pays on some of these preventative medications are are making it uh, making uh, these things unattainable uh, or un, unreachable for some of our patients who, who may be at risk for HIV. Um, so number six was repealing or reform laws that, that criminalize people with HIV and policies that discriminate against them by barring service in the military or Peace Corps. I think the, the decriminalization laws, I think, Think are really important to to kind of uh, that really do they do discriminate uh, against against people with with HIV. Number seven was treating substance substance abuse disorders at the chronic relapsing brain disease, uh, um, not as a crime, but you know treating these as, as health issues, uh, and I think um, uh, uh, reducing the risk for HIV and other infectious diseases, and also help to eliminate some of the stigma associated with substance use disorders. A big a big topic there with our patients that, you know, do have uh, substance abuse disorders. It's really difficult to to manage sometimes. And I think the more we treat this as a medical problem, not as a crime, I think we're we'd be closer to to hopefully uh, making making a difference and also affecting the CEG plan. Expanding access number eight: expanding access to comprehensive, high quality mental health services, health outcomes for for people with HIV and at risk for HIV who have mental health. Uh, issues, and I think these are uh, certainly a, a big, a big, um, a big piece of what we can do to make make the EHE work better. And number nine was to promote evidence based interventions 
such as comprehensive medical, uh, medically accurate, culturally and age-appropriate sex and sexual health education to reduce transmission of HIV and other sexually transmitted infections, clearly a big, a big issue there. And then finally, the, the, tenth, uh, the tenth principle here was to ensure a culturally responsive ID and HIV clinical and research workforce. And I think the workforce is a big topic, I think, as, as all of us who do HIV work, whether you're um, me as a pharmacist, whether you're a provider, a lot of us are getting older. And what's going to happen in the future is that workforce tends to age. And more importantly, are we, are we culturally responsive uh, to our to our patients? And hopefully we are, but so clearly more work needs to be done to be to be done here. So I encourage you to take a look at the uh, at, at the EHE plan, first of all, and then take a look at this uh, position paper from HIVMA and IDSA. I think it's really good uh, in that it really kind of looks at some of some of the major, I think, topics and issues that many clinics that are doing HIV care are dealing with on a daily basis um, to try to uh, meet these EG goals and, and the challenges that people have. Um, but in each of these recommendations, they really have some specific suggestions, not only for Congress, but also other stakeholders, such as the community, community-based organizations, insurers, um, and other people. So I encourage people to take a look at the article, maybe formulate some ideas on how, how each of you uh, in your clinic setting or in your, in your practice setting can improve our ability to attain these EEG goals. Because it is such an important part of what we do you know, to, to reach these EEG goals. We're, we're really trying hard to, to make sure that we get as many people on prep, uh, people on treatment, and identify, identify new infections and, and little mini epidemics that we see across the country. So we're really working hard to do this, but I encourage you to take a look at the article. I think it's a great one for you to look at. And I think you'll get some great ideas for changes you might wanna make in your clinic um, as you look at these 10 different principles as they relate to the EHE. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about the latest on the EHE initiative. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about NECA AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.necaatc.org. That's www.necaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.